Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive, mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you guys. I interviewed um, Allie Miller, who's a registered dietitian and has a background in naturopathic medicine as well. And she is just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, she is one of the most like well-spoken. Um, wh- she's really good at taking very complex and scientific things and breaking them down so people can understand them. So this episode is all about anxiety, which we felt is really pertinent to now with so many people kind of struggling with anxiety in the current climate. And so it was, it was so great to have her on. Yeah. I loved how she really did a lot of education on hormones. Like she goes really in depth to the HPA access, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access and what that all means, how all these different glands and hormones are connected, but she goes in depth, but in a simple way. Yeah, definitely. It's so tangible. It's like Um, a mini crash course even for myself, but for all of our listeners, it's great to, I think, have that education piece so you know what's going on in your body. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great that we kind of talk about the more like traditional models of how uh, more like conventional doctor will treat anxiety versus, you know, wanting to treat and get to the root cause. And I think that's really, that's really the thing with any mood disturbance you want to get to the root cause so you're not just sort of masking it. Like there's definitely a time and place for medication, no doubt. Um, I have seen it really change people's lives, but I've also seen, you know, taking the time to figure out what the root of it is and changing lifestyle and, you know, working with diet and using certain supplements. And that's made, you know, a world of a difference, I think, for people. Totally. I loved it. It's a great episode. Lots of tangible tips that you could like start the same day to help yourself feel better. Absolutely. So listen in and we hope you guys enjoy it. Totally. And we have an exciting new partner um, for Vita products, which we have spoken about them in a handful of episodes now. We um, got an account set up with them so you guys can access their products. They have both nutritional supplements and essential oil blends. Some of our favorites, which would definitely be supportive of anxiety, is a supplement called Calms, which is an herbal blend to help you calm down. Um, So for the busy brain and, you know, anxious person, that would be a great option. There's a supplement called Regenerzyme Adrenal, which we also love to support the adrenal glands. Especially when you're super stressed, your adrenals can get really ramped down where you find you're sort of tired and wired or you're running on really low fuel. Regenerzyme Adrenal will be really helpful for that. Um, Feel free to reach out to us if you um, need some like different kinds of dosing instructions. But the biggest thing about these supplements is they are 
you know, you need a medical license to be able to order them. And so we're able to give you guys our practitioner code, which is COFFEE. So hard to miss that one, but it's all caps, COFFEE, when you put in the practitioner code when you check out. And you'll be able to access this amazing line that's super safe. And we've only seen amazing results from people taking them. Yeah. So enjoy. And if you guys order, let us know how you like it. All right, guys, listen in to the episode. And as always, feel free to leave us a review or any comments and uh, enjoy. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Coffee with the Docs. I'm really excited today. I have Allie Miller with me, and I have been listening to her podcast for a long time, and she's just been such a great voice on so many different topics with functional medicine. So I'm super excited that she's here. Thank you, Allie, for being on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited for a great conversation. Yeah, I'm super excited. So um, before we jump into everything, why don't you just give our audience a little background, a little intro of you? Sure. So I am a registered dietitian by license, and my background is in naturopathic medicine because I went to Bastyr University outside of Seattle, Washington, and I practice functional integrative medicine, which I know your audience is familiar with. So, you know, I have kind of a a leg on both banks of the river in the allopathic conventional world, being an RD, and then the other leg on the bank of the river with the naturopathic foundation. And with functional medicine, the best way that I describe my personal approach is as a detective of the body. So I spend that first 90 minutes consult really doing a deep dive of inventory on the individual, their structural health, their gut, their respiratory function, their hormone expression, how their body responds to stress. And I know we'll uncover that a lot today. And at the end of that, I share that back with them. And I always humbly state that, you know, I've just gotten to know you and your body and you've lived in it for, you know, X amount of years. So here's what I see. Here are the triggering events that I see. Here are the driving causes. And here's some opportunities for us to dig deeper. And then we make it a really unifying conversation that makes sense. And we're both heard. And um, we move mountains that way upstream looking to address the root cause. I love it. I love how you explain like, I'm just getting to know your body now after I feel like I always have to say that too. Like, well, we've talked for an hour and you've lived in your body for a really long time. Right. So this is sort of where I'd like to start, but that's a perfect way of putting it. And I think in the world, just like anything, you know, functional medicine practitioners, when a patient is Googling or finding a a clinician, they don't know their length of experience. If they just took a new module, you know, on the four R's of gut restoration and and they're just following said protocol from, from what they heard from a supplement vendor or X, Y, Z. And we have to be mindful of each individual when we're working with a clinician that we still feel always empowered that we know our body the best. And so I always like to give that opportunity because I might be, you know, writing a blog on adrenal fatigue. And so I'm in the, 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 the gauntlet of adrenal fatigue space where I'm going to see those signs louder. And I need to give the opportunity for the client to tell me what resonates stronger, what they really feel. And, and I might then shift our approach. I love that. I do feel like patients always have like they have a strong intuition about what's going on with them. No doubt. If more doctors listen to their patients, I think a lot more people would reach health a lot faster, right? 
Yeah. And I think a good clinician helps their patient to hear themselves stronger. No (laughs) doubt. No doubt. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I love that. Awesome. Okay. So since we're coffee with the docs and obviously your drink doesn't have to be coffee, but um, (laughs) what has been your drink of choice lately? So I just finished one of my rounds of my 10 day real food detox where I gave up coffee for 10 days. Oh, um, You know, coffee for me, I'm someone who does run on adrenaline and um, I know we're going to talk a lot about that with my books, the anti-anxiety diet, but coffee is one that does tend to accelerate that fight or flight response. Uh, If I don't add fat to it or CBD oil or something like that, um, but I still love it being an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. Um, so I shifted for, or, or is my audio still okay? You kind of yeah, went for me. You're totally okay. good. Yeah. Should I cut? Okay. Um, so along that period of time, I'm 10 days coffee free and I've been doing a lot more teas. Uh, I've been really doing some awesome black teas and doing like a London fog where mm. I'll take black tea and maybe lion's mane mushroom blend to get a little nootropic brain boost and some full fat coconut milk. Uh, or I've been doing a lot more matcha lattes. And right lattes. now I'm, I'm drinking like a really boring survival smoothie and it's just <laughs> blueberries, some full fat Greek yogurt. Cause I just brought dairy back in and like two cups of kale. Oh my gosh. And it I love that it's called the survival. Did you name it that? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that cause I'm between interviews and it was oh. just like, okay, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I love that name. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then the other question we always ask our guests is what is your latest biohack? So I think my latest biohack, because we'll probably talk about a lot of the cool geeky stuff, is mantra. And I really feel like in today's climate of many still unknowns and a truly palpable level of anxiety that we're finding ourselves in in the environment, you know, whether that's our vibration or the vibration in the space, and it's it's like I said, palpable. You can feel it. Yeah. Um, is to really harness our mind space and our own self-talk. And uh, using mantra can be in in various ways, shapes, or forms. We can align it with breath and we can inhale things that we want to own and exhale things that we want to release. Like I inhale strength, I exhale fear. Uh, That's a really simple introduction to mantra for some people. And then the other way we can use mantra is just like a manifesting statement. So I'll, I'll share kind of a deep dive one because um, I know we have a lot to cover, but my mantra has always been as a type A individual, this is not stress. This is passion manifest. Ooh. And so, yeah, right. So I when I that. would have a book deadline or, you know, I'd be flying to, to do some public lecture and I was still behind on chart notes on a patient and I'd find myself in that victim mentality of like, oh, there you go again, Allie, overcommitting due to, you know, the mean girl. Right. Yeah. You up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would just have this moment where I would say, this is not stress. This is passion manifest. Like these are all things that you have busted your butt to create. And, and this is all opening up for you. So you, you ride those waves. And so the, the part two of that is riding the waves. Um, a lot of people ask, how are you doing Allie? And I say, Oh, I'm riding the waves. And even in the start of a clinic session and whatnot. Well, recently one of my spiritual gurus um, was telling a birth story because my, my co-host of the podcast, Becky is 32 weeks pregnant. 
And she was talking about how her doula said, ride the waves as, as a way to manage her contractions. Right. And she said that image made sense. But when she was actually in birth, in labor, every time she'd try to ride the waves, she'd clench, like the big waves come in and, and her body then was not releasing, not opening and, and the birth right. wasn't progressing. And so she said she had this like auditory visit from a past ancestor who told her, you know, when the big waves come, we don't ride the waves. We hold our breath and we go deep under the wave. And that's Mm -hmm. where the silence is. And that's where the stillness is. And that's where your strength is. And so my mantra that I'll share with you all to, to play with is go under the waves. And I think that there's that like physiological feeling you've all had where you take that deep breath, you see it coming and you get under there. And and I think that that's where we all need to kind of harness in our intuition, in our space as healers, as mothers, as sisters, as brothers, as whatever roles we have right now with a lot of talking heads of of information and think about going under those waves and, and feeling that that innate silence as the deepest truth. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's so good. It's the best biohack for right now. I know. No I don't doubt. know. If it's, you know, right. I mean, I could talk nootropics or whatever, but I yeah, be exactly. Good. But it's like stillness, silence, and being able to navigate the, the waves going under or riding the small ones, like it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So that's hopefully some empowerment for everyone. No, that's cool. Our, our audience is all about mind, body, spirit. We're huge into it. So that's great. Let's just dive right in. So let's give the audience a little bit of a background with like the HPA access and how it affects our mood just, and if you want to kind of tie it into like how people are experiencing stress right now too, that's great. Sure. So the HPA access that stands for hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, and this is looking at our autonomic nervous system. It's looking at our expression of what drives us into a sympathetic fight or flight mode or into a parasympathetic, what was called rest digest mode. And uh, it's just not as simple as that. It, I kind of call the parasympathetic mode beyond rest and digest, the regulatory function of the body, because as we'll unpack, I'll kind of tell you what each gland does. But When we're in a parasympathetic space, this is where our reproductive health and hormone health is modified and and optimized. We will see in that parasympathetic space, our metabolism and our thyroid is optimized. We will see our circadian rhythms and our energy cascades are optimized. Our satiety and hunger signals are optimized. And so I really see that as this regulatory mode And the unfortunate issue and and why I wrote the anti-anxiety diet is that I feel that today we are all in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode in that sympathetic fight or flight space, we're doing a disservice for all of that regulatory function. Right. So, you know, the hypothalamus and pituitary are in the brain and the adrenals sit above our kidneys and the hypothalamus is our primary regulatory center for the body. So this is going to play a huge role on body temperature, on our circadian rhythm. It'll play a role with our wake and sleep patterns. We'll see also the hypothalamus does play a big role with appetite regulation. Leptin is a hormone that crosses the blood-brain barrier and docks to the hypothalamus. And that's another marker of satiety and safety for the body. 
in the pituitary, we regulate a lot more of our sexual hormone. This is where we make our TSH, and that's our thyroid stimulating hormone, so that feedback mechanism for the thyroid gland. And, and back in the hypothalamus, we make our thyroid releasing hormone. Um, so, you know, there's already two elements directly impacting uh, your metabolism. In our pituitary, we make our antidiuretic hormones. So we're going to be regulating fluid retention or individuals that are holding uh, fluid, seeing imprints from, you know, rings or sock lines. A lot of times that can be from pituitary mismanagement or overdrive. The pituitary is going to regulate our sex hormone, like our progesterone and estrogen. Uh, it also is going to play a role on then stimulating the adrenals. And um, I'm not sure if I said oxytocin, but that's another important mm. one that's regulated by the pituitary gland, um, both in a sex hormone, but also natural antidepressant. And then in our adrenals, so both the hypothalamus and pituitary make compounds to stimulate the adrenal glands. And um, the adrenals are going to have two parts, the medulla and, and the uh, cortex. And in the medulla, we make neurotransmitters, our dopamine, which converts into norepinephrine and epinephrine or adrenaline. And then in the adrenal cortex is where we make the steroid hormones. So we make DHEA, which is a stress responding hormone, but also a precursor for sex hormone, estrogen and testosterone. And then we make our aldosterone, which plays a role with blood sugar, excuse me, blood pressure regulation and sodium retention. And then the maybe star of this stress show, if you will, would be the cortisol that's made by that part of the gland. And so when the body is in this perceived state of survival, again, this palpable anxiety in the grocery store or watching the news. Um, and this is all perpetuated and exacerbated with the increased screen time. How many of us maybe worked in a technological space, but didn't have full days virtually, including our children, which this is a really concerning population of this full-time screen time. Um, that on its own is going to stimulate dopamine, which again is made by the adrenal glands. So this whole HPA axis starts to get robbed into that sympathetic fight or flight mode. If we are just stressed from reading news or looking at statistics or uh, feeling disconnected, not having that natural oxytocin, because maybe we're not touching people as frequently during this time of pandemic, um, we're not hugging as frequently, which oxytocin is released from there, that also perpetuates this sympathetic nervous system response, which puts us in this fight or flight mode. And so we start to rob ourselves of the sexual hormone balance, the metabolic balance, the mood balance. No doubt, man, you explain that so well and so succinctly. But even too with that, what you were saying, like the leptin can dock at the hypothalamus for like security and safety and like you're full, right? And I think with all of the stress and you see all these people of like, they were calling it like I've gained the COVID-15 or something, right? Because it's like, they're looking for security in other ways too, and their brain is quite naturally. Right, and, and because of that dopamine stimulation from blue light, we are dopamine depleted. And so you, you're looking for that food coma, you're looking for that high, that fix, and you're coming at a, a, a depressed state um, from that overdrive. And uh, often, you know, sugar and fat actually do elevate dopamine. And when they're combined, they maintain dopamine elevation. However, they don't give us the building blocks when choosing processed refined carbohydrate foods like donuts or cookies or crackers or the typical food coma choices. Right. <laughs> they don't provide us 
L-tyrosine. They don't provide us B vitamins. They don't provide us tryptophan. They don't provide us the amino acids and the building blocks or the cofactors to actually produce dopamine. And so it's this perpetuating vicious cookie cycle <laughs> where we're looking for that ding dong doorbell fix, but we're not refilling the ingredients in the soup pot to make a level to sustain it. Right. No doubt. Makes so much sense. So you kind of explained how the pituitary is responsible for a lot of these different sex hormones that are produced and regulated. So how do you kind of tie that together when we are experiencing a lot of stress, what you see it doing to the hormones? So that kind of unpacks the concept of the pregnenolone steel, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is important hand in hand with the HPA axis. So pregnenolone is our master hormone, okay? And um, this is where it's really important. And we've seen hormone imbalance exacerbated when cholesterol and, and dietary fat was suppressed. So we look at like the 90s was a, a big slew of when we're talking about perimenopausal change and, and so forth, because the body actually uses cholesterol as a steroidal building block to make sex hormone. Right. And um, so pregnenolone can convert into cortisol. Um, it can convert into testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. And there's this pregnenolone steel where our progesterone um, often can get converted into cortisol if we're in that stimulated fight or flight mode. Um, and progesterone is often the hormone that will get suppressed under a higher fight or flight mode or a stressed mode. So some first line of defense can be using something like maca. Um, you know, maca is an adaptogen that actually uh, impacts the pituitary specifically. And so that actually can help with progesterone level regulation as well as um, some thyroid modulation. And then it can aid to reduce the stress response that stimulates that constant adrenal push, if you will. Um, But stress alone is going to make that primary conversion. And that's where then we can see estrogen dominance um, because estrogen dominance can be relative. It may not be that your body is actually producing an excess of estrogen or exogenously exposed to because we get xenoestrogens from our synthetic our synthetic hormone source in plastics, for instance, we're right. leaching estrogen. So we get a lot of estrogen in our body, which is stored in our adipocytes or our fat cells. But even if the estrogen levels are normalized and not concerningly high, that individual, if they are under high stress response or more anxiety driven, they may be suppressing their progesterone production. And because of that, that pregnenolone steel, and then that's going to still express in the form of estrogen dominance, or they'll start to see their cycle lowering. Yeah, exactly. I think more women are starting to be um, a lot familiar with estrogen dominance and how it shows up in the body in terms of like, you know, weight gain and that sort of thing. But Talk about like, because there's a lot of mood stuff that women feel too, right? When they're estrogen dominant. And what are some of those things that they feel? Yeah. So I think, you know, progesterone is a natural anxiolytic or anxiety reducer. So again, especially in the individuals that are suppressed with progesterone in a form of estrogen dominance, then they'll have more exacerbated anxiety, generally speaking. And I also like to say, you know, estrogen and cortisol have a sweet spot because both of them are demonized in the, in the natural medicine space. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, so I always say, for instance, like I wouldn't give someone dim dialmethionine 
to reduce their estrogen levels if they just hypothesize or feel estrogen dominant because of breast tenderness or that belly fat um, or fatigue. Um, I really like to see them clinically elevated because often again, it is just getting the progesterone back online and, and that in itself can support. And then you can use like cruciferous vegetables to support some mild detox, but right. the DIM can, can actually bring estrogen levels quite low. And then that can have influence negatively on vaginal tissue, bone density, and estrogen itself is actually a natural antidepressant. So where progesterone is an anxiolytic, there is some antidepressant mode of uh, estrogen levels to be optimized. Um, we think of them working conversely in the sense that progesterone is a diuretic, estrogen is a fluid reta retainer. So if you have dominant estrogen, you'll probably be holding a little bit more fluid. Um, same thing with vasoconstriction and dilation. So we see vasoconstriction and more prone towards blood clotting if we have elevated estrogen levels. And then we see vasodilation and individuals when, when their progesterone gets optimized, blood pressure will often um, rebalance in the body as well. I love that. It's so, it's so interesting how like there's all these different ways that the hormones can manifest in the body. It's not just like as simple as like what you see in your period necessarily, right? Um, okay. right. And like oh, I said, usually when the cycle shortens is an indicator of low progesterone. And, um, we also see that of course, as an element of fertility, and this is where we'd see higher risk of miscarriage or uh, difficulty getting pregnant because when progesterone gets suppressed, you become anovulatory. So you may still be having a menstrual cycle, but you won't actually be releasing an egg to be fertilized. And again, going full circle, it's because the body doesn't perceive safety. It doesn't perceive enough of that regulatory parasympathetic space that it says, I don't know what Allie's doing right now, but this is not the time that we're going to be sharing our resources with carrying a child. Right, <laughs> and, right. And so I find that to be really empowering though, because I work with so many miracle keto babies and so many individuals that have done failed attempts of IVF, but with functional medicine approaches in my anti-anxiety diet protocol, we see fertility rebounds that are astronomical, especially when we're using things like myo and acetol, which has been shown at four grams a day to increase ovulation by 60 to 70%. Wow. I love, I mean, I, I feel like I've loved inositol before I went to med school. Like at the, t when I learned about it, it was from this guy named Charles Poliquin and he used it as like a way of resetting the neurotransmitters. He was like, I just find it to be one of the most. And then I, I think it was, it might've been your podcast or something else I learned where it was related to ovulation. I was like, what? I had no idea. I just love it so much because I feel like it helps people sleep. It helps like, oh yeah, people are calmer, right? But like that, it makes sense, right? Because if you're in a calmer state, your body's gonna be in a better place to be able to ovulate as well. Yes, and there's such compelling literature on PCOS and the use of, of myoinositol. That's like kind of a turnkey important nutrient of focus. Yeah. I love that. So what, um, are there like certain root causes of anxiety that you see often with your clients? Yeah. So my book unpacks six of them and I'll name them and then you can choose which one you want me to explain deeper. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise we perfect. here for six hours. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I look at, um, the first, I, I, they're all R's just to kind of keep it sexy. Um, so the first <laughs> R is to reduce inflammation. And so I go through five top foods that drive inflammation in the body and pulling those out. And one of those five are one of those five pro-inflammatory ingredients is sugar. 
So right away in that chapter, I start to present the idea of a ketogenic diet as being a tool for anti-anxiety and on the other end of the spectrum, how a blood sugar roller coaster of highs and lows in our blood sugar can drive or perpetuate mood disturbance. Mm -hmm. So that's the first R of reducing inflammation, but kind of also snuck in there is regulating blood sugar, another R. Yeah. Um, then the second R is to reset the microbiome. So in that, I talk about the different strains of gut bacteria that actually drive uh, production of various neurotransmitters and how in a dysbiotic imbalanced state, we put out more adrenaline or more epinephrine as a survival cue. And that's um, a feedback to our central nervous system that our enteric nervous system is off, but that can be a huge root cause. The third R is repairing the GI lining. So this is looking into leaky gut and that gut brain access. The fourth R is restoring micronutrient status. And so in that chapter, I talk about mood stabilizing minerals, um, brain boosting B vitamins, and then the amino acids that are the primary building blocks. And then the final two R's are to rebound the adrenals. And that's where I start to unpack this HPA access connection and the adrenal sex hormone connection. And the final R is to rebalance our neurotransmitters. And that's where I really give a deep dive on the symphony of expression, if you will, of our neurotransmitters. So not just throwing that dart on the serotonin receptors, but really understanding what would be an indicator of ex excessive serotonin, what would be an indicator of inadequate GABA, what would be an indicator of excessive dopamine? Maybe you're getting tinnitus. That's a big driver of excessive dopamine. Um, and so in each of those six R chapters, I give a quiz to my reader so they can really try to understand not everyone needs to go sequentially from the removing inflammation all the way down to the rebalancing neurotransmitters. Some individuals might find the greatest value starting with this rebound adrenals chapter, or someone maybe who carried a baby and breastfed for a year and a half might start with that restoring nutrients because they just right. fed an entire body beyond theirs, you know, and are coming right. at a level of depletion. Right. So I try to give you guidance of where you would kind of go next level. And it all comes into balance with the, the protocol. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that they're all ours. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it probably helps you like remember too, when you're talking about it, you're like, I got this. Yeah. They're all ours. Um, well, I wanted <laughs> to talk about some of the food as medicine choices for anxiety. So we can kind of unpack the first one if you want a little bit in terms of inflammation. We, we've talked about keto a lot on our podcast. So I would say our audience is pretty familiar with it. I love keto in general. Um, but what do you see like I guess, what, how do you see keto really impact, like impact the anxiety and what foods you find? Because I'm assuming you guys talk about a real food approach for keto, not right. kind of like the, um, I don't really even know what to call it anymore. But I think when some people used to think about keto, it wasn't necessarily always healthy, right? Right. It's kind of right. like this weird approach to just like jamming a bunch of fat and processed keto foods into your body. Yeah. So I'm a uh, kind of zebra in the keto space where a couple things set me apart. One is that I don't do any non-caloric sweeteners. Um, so this is of course, all of the chemical manufactured ones like sucralose and aspartame, um, but as well as the quote unquote natural, and I'm making air quotes, natural non-caloric <laughs> sweeteners <laughs> like uh, monk fruit and allulose and erythritol. 
and even stevia. Um, and so the, that's one part that sets me apart. And then the other part is that I don't chase fat for a perfect pie chart as far as macros are concerned. We take into account the individual and their own body fat reserves, and then we adjust the levers accordingly. And a lot of my keto clients actually do more of a protein dominant uh, approach. And then I'm, I'm much more liberal in carbs than most keto programs because I believe in the power and the importance of uh, polyphenols and phyto compounds. And so I see that a lot of people, once they've done like a six week tighter carb control of maybe 30 to 40 grams of total carbs a day, after that period of time, they're often able to liberate 45, 60 grams of carbs a day, get a lot more diversity in their diet. And, and that all is based on their own metabolic flexibility. You know, if the individual has history of insulin resistance that's really severe or was a medically managed or medication managed diabetic, they may need to commit for a longer period of time. But there's definitely much more flexibility than is discussed in the ketogenic space. Yeah, absolutely. And those like tighter controlled six weeks, it's really just to help get the person into ketosis, correct? Right. I mean, I believe that the ketogenic diet is a natural metabolic state. You know, the body was designed to be a hybrid. That's the only way that we've survived, you know, <laughs> in hunter and gatherer days when there was food scarcity, we made ketones, right? We right. weren't getting access to tubers or, you know, starches based on season. We were in ketosis. Babies in utero, 40% of their fuel source is ketones. Breastfed babies are in a state of light nutritional ketosis. So this is not a foreign energy substrate. I would argue that we have broken the metabolism of humans by excessive carbohydrate intake. And that stressor itself has robbed us of the access to ketones. And ketones are such a beautiful, powerful tool in many mechanisms, but in the mood world where I connect this is similar to the mechanisms in which they support epilepsy. So ketones cross the blood brain barrier and they also can dock and interplay with the hypothalamus. They have GAB, GABA receptor influence. And so they actually can be very inhibitory to a fight or flight stress response. GABA is a neurotransmitter that is very mellowing out. So when we think of conditions like um, Parkinson's disease, those individuals with tremors are dealing with GABA, not functioning appropriately at high enough levels to reduce that peripheral tremor. Um, so GABA has a very inhibitory mellowing out effect. And we also know that ketones reduce oxidative stress in the brain. So they can be a cleaner fuel source. They can aid with cognitive function and neurotransmitter processing. But it's predominantly that gabergenic influence that gives us that anxiolytic mood stabilizing kind of grounding effect. And, and that's the big, the big, I guess, harness of why I use that in my protocol for the anti-anxiety diet. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Why do you have, do you think like, or what have you seen as a plus with doing like a little higher protein version of keto? So I, a couple things. One is the focus on getting amino acids. So like I said, I'm pretty amino acid nerdy in the sense of when I'm thinking of neurotransmitters, these are all the building blocks. 
And um, I'm really big proponent of a snout to tail philosophy of you know eating the whole animal. So I'm a big fan of bone broth. I'm a big fan of getting connective tissue with your meat cuts so that you get nutrients like um, glutamine in higher levels. Um, we know also that we're going to get higher amounts of glycine and proline. Um, these are also, glycine is a fantastic anxiolytic tool, which you only really get in skin. So consuming like a quality pork rind or doing bone in skin on chicken thighs. Uh, so mm -hmm. you're actually eating that skin as opposed to just white, boneless, skinless chicken breast right, <laughs> as your choice right. for protein. Yeah. So as long as you're doing good, diverse protein selection and not, you know, refined protein powders as your primary protein intake, um, and you're consuming ample hydration, I see that to be very supportive for whole body health. Um, I, I see both for the brain boosting amino acid contribution, as well as immune support, as well as cognitive function. I see women that I rescue from their type pie chart of their keto calculator that they did somewhere, let's say, and they're eating maybe only 52 grams of protein a day. I, I, I put everyone, regardless of your body composition, at a minimum of 60 grams of protein a day, which for listeners, each ounce of protein is seven grams, a biological ounce of protein. So, mm -hmm. you know, that would mean that you're getting at least, you know, your two eggs. And then that would be like about 13 to 14 grams of protein there. And then a six ounce portion of protein, which is going to be 42. So like a, a six ounce burger patty, grass fed yeah. burger patty, or maybe two um, bone and skin on chicken thighs, depending on the size. And then still another two ounces somewhere in there that you might do with uh, collagen added to your beverage, or you might do, um, you know, with another actual protein portion, like wild salmon on your salad or tuna or something like that. Um, I find brain fog to be really huge when people are, are not getting ample protein. I see individuals also deal with hair loss when they're not getting ample protein. And again, the, the ketogenic diet and the classic pie chart, when we were looking at neurological conditions, the concern was transamination or the conversion of protein amino acids into glucose. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just don't see that clinically as relevant for individuals that are doing this for the other world of body composition change, mood regulation, hormone balance, anti-inflammatory effects, uh, blood sugar control, and so much more. I, I find it a better balance between the protein and fat threshold. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I think for so many women, it's like so many women talk about hair loss in general, but I think there's so many women who have no idea how little protein they're consuming. I, yeah. I see that all the time. And protein has the highest satiety. You know, we talk about fat providing satiety, which it does. You know, we only make leptin from the breakdown of our own fat as fuel. So when you're losing body fat, you're liberating leptin, um, but also the consumption of fat, the intestines are going to read that leptin and produce from, from the body fat, excuse me, from the fat intake from the diet. Um, but it doesn't make sense clinically sound or anything. If you take a step back to force feed fat, when you're looking to lose body fat, you want to tap into your own body's reserves. <laughs> and so right. I think that that's a big, where a lot of women will hit a roadblock their leptin levels actually go down and they start to experience hunger again. And um, they're not getting that body fat loss because they're feeding enough fat. Right, right. No, that's perfect. So since you're sort of in this like anti-anxiety space and I'm excited to, we'll definitely have like a link to your um, book in the show notes and all that. Um, do you find the traditional medical approach to anxiety? Um, do you find some some maybe errors in that 
and how it's like traditionally approached. Well, yeah. And, and um, we're seeing it unfortunately right now, right. Worse off in the pandemic um, because how many of the big pharma ads are actually offering special COVID discounts on antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs? Oh my gosh. I haven't right? even seen that, but that's mm-hmm. horrible. Right. So the issue is when you understand, again, I, I mentioned that I call neurotransmitters this complex symphony, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not this one directional silver bullet that an SSRI is going to impact favorably your mood or balance out said imbalanced neurotransmitter biochemical reactions, right? It's truly working on a receptor site for that one direction. And since SSRIs have been on the market, there's been other drugs. So now we have some drugs that impact dopamine, for instance, like Wellbutrin. We have other drugs that impact our norepinephrine, right? Um, Effexor is one of those. And so we are starting to target a couple other neurotransmitters. The dopamine and, and norepinephrine would both be focusing on those adrenal influenced neurotransmitters. And the serotonin still being the predominant. And some are actually put on beta blockers as an anxiolytic tool. Um, the big thing with all of that is it's a roadblock or an endpoint regulating expression. And the whole conversation of, like we said, spending the time with the patient to understand their history, to understanding what of these R's may be imbalanced. If that individual has been on antibiotics more than twice within an 18 month period, chances are they have some level of dysbiosis or at least sterility in their microbiome. Um, And so it's a disservice truly, I believe clinically, to overlook that influence, especially when we have double blind randomized clinical trials, which is the gold standard in medical literature, looking at probiotics compared to placebos and seeing the Becker depressive score substantially go down, CRP levels go down, fasting insulin levels go down as well as um, other markers of nutritional status from just adding in that probiotic. So, and and if you added that compared to a Prozac, which we've seen in studies as well, comparing probiotics, Prozac and placebo, they don't see the metabolic influence of the probiotic. They do see comparable mood stability. So you could call probiotics nature's Prozac, but when you add a probiotic and the gut starts to manufacture more serotonin as well as GABA, as well as suppress that excessive epinephrine fight or flight cue because the enteric nervous system can regulate all of that, you're getting a multitude of factors and then you're getting the metabolic influence and the immunological influence that you're just not tapping with the SSRI. And so we get this Pharmageddon of multiple interventions when we don't treat the system of the body's dysfunction. And and that's where I feel that the mismanagement lies, these end stream versus upstream interventions. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I know you talked about some of the supplements already, like inositol and glycine, and you have a pretty amazing supplement line. I and do. like, yeah, you do. And even like the names are like Rax, Relax and Regulate. It's just like, they're, they're good names. But what are yeah. some of your favorites um, that are helpful in balancing the mood? 
Yeah. So relax and regulate is our top seller. And that is, it's four grams of myo inositol um, with magnesium bisglycinate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people take that cheapo, like calm product that is magnesium citrate and oxide. And yeah. magnesium is one of those really important minerals that does get depleted from stress response. And one of the biggest symptoms we notice is either constipation because we clench and we don't have that bowel relaxation or we hold tension in the neck, shoulders, jaw. Now, what's different now, you might get that clench release from the constipation from the citrate or the oxide because those are osmotic. They, they are working as somewhat of a laxative, softening your stool. But you're not going to get, unless you're taking the magnesium bisglycinate, the neuromuscular release and also that influence where magglycinate can actually cross the blood-brain barrier and it actually engages with the pituitary, which is super cool, and it acts as a bodyguard to reduce the ACTH or the stimulation of the pituitary to the adrenals. So you get, again, this really cool comprehensive approach and you actually get to block that fight or flight stimulation. And that's what really helps for deep restful sleep with the relax and regulate because of that kind of bodyguard effect. And so individuals that are waking at 3 a.m. Um, or dealing with night sweats, they might be assigning the hot flashes to you know, estrogen changes and whatnot. The beautiful thing is with relax and regulate, you're getting that myo-inositol to support ovarian function. And then you're also getting that magglycinate to help you get that deep release. Um, it's awesome. So that's, that's a really awesome product for sure. The other one I would call out is my Calm and Clear, um, which I have like on my desk. <laughs> this is my desert island supplement for sure. Um, and this is a combination of B vitamins. Uh, it has methylcobalamin, so methylated B12, but we purposefully don't have a folate in here. Um, I do use a methylfolate in my prenatal and in my multivitamin, but individuals uh, can sometimes go too high of methylfolate or folate donors, and that can perpetuate anxiety, especially in the individuals that are COMT, uh, which stands for catecholamine uh, S-transferase. And uh, COMT individuals tend to also be estrogen dominant, um, but they tend to be higher anxiety. And if they over-methylfolate intake, then they can drive too much of the catecholamines, which are the stress-responding neurotransmitters. So this has a B-complex without the folate in there. And then it has L-theanine, uh, which is a fantastic modulator for our neurotransmitters. It aids in alpha brainwave expression. So we see alpha brainwaves go up during meditation, concentration, focus, during our REM cycles of our sleep, and also during creativity in the brain. So it's non-sedative, but it allows this nice um, concentration without agitation, if you will. And then there also is phosphatidylserine in here, which blocks excessive cortisol. And then there's a blend of nervine and adaptogenic herbs. So there's ashwagandha in there as a calming adaptogen, aiding in stress resilience. There's also lemon balm in here, a little bit of German chamomile to be very calming. It's just an awesome, uh, like you know, an multifactorial. Blend. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a really good blend. Um, and like I said, I, I've been hanging six to nine a day. <laughs> um, and I notice honestly, if I don't take my mid day calm and clear that my daughter goes to a Montessori school and I'm so blessed that she's back in with everything going on right now. And, and it's an awesome experience. They're connecting and touching. It's so good. good. Um, but when she comes home, if I'm finishing up a patient chart note, 
and I missed my afternoon calm and clear, I go into this really mean girl space where I'm like, oh, Stella's coming home. She's going to think I'm such a bad mom. I won't even get to hang out with her. And I have like 45 minutes of chart notes and I get into this really squirrely, like lizard amygdala brain. Right. But if I've taken my calm and clear, I'll be like, oh, Stella's home. You know, I'm going to go give her a hug and then I'm going to chart for 45 minutes. It's the same situation. Right. I find myself getting really wired up in that situation if I don't have this harness to keep me regulated. Right. Oh, it's so cool. It's neat when you can see the same situation, but be able to have a totally different take on it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had testimonials that it saves marriages. So I feel like it's one that you can (laughs) kind of check your partner on. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's awesome. And then the last one I would call out just because of the immediate impact of it. I mean, we have adaptogen blends and all the things, but is GABA calm. Because I've, ta- I've talked on GABA a little bit today, but GABA is that most immediate impact on the physiological response to stress. And so, uh, you know, I mean, the first couple of times I had to wear a mask in a grocery store where I just like felt like I was breathing too shallow or I just felt really uncomfortable in my own skin um, and, and not grounded and secure. Um, I would take a GABA calm before those trips. Anytime I have to go on stage, uh, with bright lights and lecture, I take a GABA calm because they're it first dates, right? These are scenarios where we're, we are geared up to higher adrenaline or higher epinephrine, if you will. And so just mitigating that and squashing that with a little extra surge of bioidentical GABA, it allows us to be really in the zone. They say that uh, sports players, like when they're shooting free throws, have higher GABA elevation. Oh, and so wow. it, it doesn't dumb you down. It's not like a, a sedative which is awesome, but it does take the edge off and it still allows uh, optimal cognitive processing. Yeah. It's like a focused energy almost. Yeah. I have surgeons that take it that are in, you know, their late fifties and they're like, you know, I was getting embarrassed of of my little tremor. And now I notice I have no tremors during my surgeries. Oh, Um, well that's important. And and they're still like conducting surgery because they feel super in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, Allie, tell us the name of your book and then how best people can like follow you or see what you're up to and all your good stuff. Yeah. So I keep it super simple. So the books are um, The Anti-Anxiety Diet and The Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook. Uh, The cookbook came out a year later. So that came out last October. And I would say, you know, your listeners are probably uber nerdy as well. So they probably want both. (laughs) But the anti-anxiety diet, the first book is nonfiction, deep dive, like science nerdo information. And then if they have a family member that they think this might be a fit for, that that might be like collecting dust or (laughs) not get that far of use. The cookbook is awesome because it summarizes the anti-anxiety diet in the first chapter. And then it's just formatted like a cookbook. So it's great breakfast, entrees, smoothies, soups, vegetable sides. There's even a kid's chapter and it talks about navigating low carb eating for children. And I have these phases of one, 1.5 and two. So I I start kids at 1.5. I don't restrict them as tight because they are more metabolically flexible. Right. Um, right. So the cookbook's an awesome resource standalone, but they work really well together. And then everything is just at Allie Miller RD. So it's A-L-I-M-I-L-L-E-R-R-D on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, my website is AllieMillerRD.com. That you do keep it very simple. That's perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Allie, thank you so much for being on today. You're a wealth of knowledge, but you're also really good at breaking it down so people can understand it, which is 
which is like a very beautiful talent. So thank you so much. Thank you. I so appreciate that. And thanks for the opportunity for me to share my message with your audience. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by this site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face -face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.